but I really want them to understand what do they think the problems are. And then in that writing, what do you think the resolve is? Because, you know, everybody has a voice, like everybody matters. They're part of the team. A great veterinary team member is burning out and may be getting ready to leave. Could mediation help resolve the conflict? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetEx Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today, the lawyer with a unique career trajectory that included horse riding and decades of work in an animal hospital is Christina Weidowitz with In-House Veterinary Mediation. She helps sort out conflicts that start staff members fighting, then avoiding each other, and finally quitting either the hospital or the entire profession. So when the morning huddles and the self-care don't seem to be cutting it for stress level, maybe it's the relationships moving forward that need fixing. Christina, Veterinary Hospitals and Mediation, how did this peanut butter and chocolate come together in the Reese's peanut butter cup of your career? In high school, I was a riding instructor and, you know, did that all through high school. And all of a sudden, boom, that job wasn't working. And I said to my mother, I mean, I was probably 17, 18. And I said, geez, what am I going to do? And she said, go down the street and work for the veterinary hospital school down the street. You know, you knew you loved animals. You wanted to do something surrounding animals in some way. And your mom's like, well, why not the veterinary hospital? Yeah, yeah. Only. There's only, <laughs> only that. So Writing, instructing and veterinary hospital, nothing else with animals. That's it. It was animals. That's it. So I would babysit people's animals. I would work at, you know, horse farms. And uh, I did work at Burger King for two weeks didn't work. There weren't any animals. So my mother said, you know, give them a call. And remember, this is back in the 80s. So things are a little bit different back then. So I gave them a call and I got the job over the phone. And uh, the only question was, do you know how to clean stalls? And I said, yeah, okay, come on in. All right, great. <laughs> Off to my 1978 Cordoba, cruise down the street because it was right down the street. And that's where it started. And I worked in this veterinary school you know, working in large animal, but not for that long because I had horses after work. So I ended up going to the small animal okay. side of the hospital. So, and I loved it. I literally got paid to learn every day. So you're either working in, you know, neurology or radiology or ophthalmology or dentistry, and you get to work with the most amazing people. Not only that, but you're seeing the veterinarians as students and then become veterinarians. So you're actually a teacher as well. And then with that, it's a running hospital. So you're taking care of patients too. Wait, and can I ask one question about that? I'm curious about that. You kind of came in there like, hey, do you know how to clean? Come in. But your experience, I learned all this stuff. It doesn't sound like it was just by osmosis. It sounds like a little, there wasn't a lot of rigid hierarchy. And if you had questions, people just answer your questions. Was it a very educational environment for everybody? Or did you feel like you kind of can watch, but don't interfere or push in in any way. Back in the day, it really was like we went to each other's birthdays. You know, there wasn't any like, I'm the vet, I'm the tech, I'm the one who cleans the floors. It wasn't any of that at all. And I'm just a people person and an animal person. So it was just, it worked for me. You know, it was like, I get to learn this and I get to learn that. And you get a paycheck. You know, I mean, you're a kid, you're, you're so excited. And, um, but from there, I also had the flexibility. I wanted to do other things. So I, I became a cop. I investigated animal cruelty. Mm -hmm. Did you get slotted in there or were you like, oh, here's another thing. Did you already know that's exactly what I want to do? I want to be a cop. I want to work in animal control or investigating animal cruelty. That's my thing. 
so yeah, that kind of like I got the hospital experience, but then I felt like I needed more. Okay. And in a different avenue, still working with animals, obviously. But and where I was working, I was always welcomed back. In fact, I still worked there part time as well. So I never left. Okay. Uh, I, you know, as you can see, I'm growing up there, right? right. So, and then I became a, a law enforcement officer. I also wanted to go to college. So trying to do everything with having a over an hour commute to work for an organization as a law enforcement officer because you went through the police academy and things of that nature. So I couldn't do it all. So then I was back at the veterinary hospital and, and pursuing undergrad. Then I went to law school nights <laughs> while still working at this veterinary hospital full time. And I was just so lucky, but I did see the changes over the years uh, taking place as they got more busy. Was that your cat? Yeah, that was in fact my cat. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I missed him. So they you know, it got very busy and things did change a little because it got super busy. I ended up going to law school and still working there because as you know, I just, I love the community. I love veterinarians, the technicians, the front desk people. I mean, everybody plays a huge part in taking care of animals. So I went through law school, started doing litigation, and then immediately knew that litigation wasn't for me. So I became an advanced mediator. Was it anyone or was there a particular band of clients that when you went to work as a litigator, you were working with these kinds of clients? So I was working in the field of divorce. Okay. So I was working in high conflict area. Obviously, it's very emotionally charged. You're talking about people's kids and animals. Right. <laughs> Some people wind up fighting just as much over the dog as they do over the 13-year-old. Oh, Absolutely. So litigation was not for me. So I, I started mediating and went through the advanced mediation certificate and felt more at home because I love conflict resolution, not making conflict. Okay. So it was just, it felt better. But from there, I started to teach also at a college and where they teach, it no longer exists, sadly, uh, but it was Becker College. And they led a huge veterinary technician program there. And I taught animals in the law. That was fun. So I had to like keep being with the animals as well as, <laughs> you know, I just, it's a part of you. It's in every cell. So then to come to this point where I'm at with the background training and experience that I have and recognizing because I never really left in my heart, the veterinary field, I just became more of a client. Yeah. So I got to, you know, view the other side of things. I saw the problems that were arriving and the understaffed shortage of vets right and became not one more vet and you know unfortunately i was working at the or i just had finished working at the veterinary hospital when one of our own had taken her life so i said there's something that i can do to help and so here i am in-house veterinary mediation services, and I cover the United States. Right. So I think most people's experience with mediation is probably, so mediation does happen with, I feel like it happens with contract and litigation in the business world, but probably the number one way people are familiar with mediation is exactly what you were doing, which is in the divorce system, instead of having two opposing her attorneys, or maybe in addition to two opposing attorneys, we also have a mediator there. So with or without those extra folks. So in divorce, so we think, oh, we got it in divorce. How exactly does this play out or could it play out in the veterinary practice? What is mediation? What is a good definition for mediation? How does it differ from the other consultants or communication people or emotional intelligence people who might come into a practice? 
Right. So what this is, is about conflict resolution. Now, when you take on the job of a veterinarian or a veterinary technician or, you know, front desk personnel, remember, I think everybody is equally as important in these situations. That's not something you just do overnight. That's something you study for. You go into it because you love it, didn't I? You know, and I was a veterinary technician, just I think I forgot that part too. I did that as well, veterinary dental technician. So it was a little bit of a different area of study, but you don't just fall into this. You want this, you work hard for this, and you're in there. And now all of a sudden things have changed and you're legit thinking of leaving the field or retiring early or quitting and not even having a plan B. And this is happening, unfortunately. So it's not easy for people to just communicate when you're working together as this group. Unfortunately, sometimes, or I find most of the time, it's easier to communicate with a third party to help facilitate the communication. So, and this is truly about communication. And this is what we're lacking in the days of texting and emojis. But, you know, half the time when I'm working with a group, and that might only be two people that aren't getting along, and that's really holding up the production, and it's putting a damper on everybody when the two people aren't getting along. So sometimes it's just two people. Sometimes it's the whole clinic. And oftentimes people will not have the whole story of what they think happened or something might not be true at all that they were under the impression that took place. But I'm getting ahead of myself. How I'm able to conduct these is that everyone receives a questionnaire. So I ask them specifically, what do you feel the problems are? And then how do you feel we can resolve them? And can I ask about that? So you've had experience, many, many people over time telling you things, maybe at the start of a conversation, they tell you something, and then it's only with repeated conversations that, oh, you think it's this, or you want it to be this, but it's your problem was really another problem you didn't want to tell me about. So how often does an initial survey give you all the information and you've dug now, if you get them all in, take them all in. Now, you know what the problem is, or does it ever people are hiding what's really bothering them or you only over time, does it come out? I'm curious about that. If the survey tells you everything you need. Never. Okay. (laughs) No, it doesn't. There's always more to the story because there's also like, you know, people are nervous. Who am I? You know, who am I? Who are they writing to? So they're nervous. And, but I can tell from the writing sometimes the hint of what's going on behind the writing. Okay. But what these questionnaires allow me to do is kind of formulate what the issues are at the surface. Okay. And that way we can at least start there. And without somebody knowing, oh, that was definitely, you know, Karen who's making that complaint, I can formulate that. The poor Karens, right? I mean, I can't believe it. <laughs> and one of my best friends is Karen. I know, it's terrible. The name has become an unfair curse. It has. my Yeah, it has. But, you know, there's retaliation sometimes. Especially in a small practice. Them. If you're having a, somebody come in and give surveys because there's a conflict that needs to be mediated, isn't everybody going to kind of know who said what on the survey? I don't know. Maybe the not. Thing is, they don't see the surveys. Okay. Okay. I do. And I work alone. So nobody sees the surveys. I see them and then I shred them. Right. You gather all this stuff in and then translate it knowing, oh, I bet X is sensitive about Y. So I probably shouldn't mention X's exact example because then Y will know exactly X was complaining about them. With my training, I can absolutely like take something and then... Yeah. Reward it. So 
I can't stop 100% of people knowing, you know, okay, that had to have been this particular person who said that, but you can lessen the load. And you, it, it depends too on how you ask the question. So it isn't more like, I received this complaint, what are we going to do about it? It's more of a, uh, a facilitating of communication. So you get the parties talking, things do come out. Yeah. They do come out. And I have to be honest with you, the parties know how to resolve these issues. They already know. Okay, so you never feel like I'm coming in like the person with the superpower and I'm going to tell you what the problem is. And then you'll all say, yay, she's told us what the problem is. And now it's all smooth. You're like, you guys are, you know what you're supposed to do. You know what the issue is. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a lot of experience. So I may give examples because remember, I'm not emotionally involved. I'm a third party. I'm the person that they're never, they can trust. They're never going to see me having lunch with their boss. I don't work for them. Right. You know, I'm not going to be going to so-and-so's baby shower. I don't know them. Right. So this is purely, a, I am a third party, neutral and detached person who gets to come in and after reading all of the questionnaires, devise a plan that's going to facilitate the parties that are working in this situation to be able to discuss things and to come to their own resolve. You know, when you come to your own resolve, you're more apt to follow that resolve because you were a part of the resolve. Right. Versus somebody saying, this is what you're going to do. Yeah, who's going to listen to that? I want to ask two things about this. So I want to ask about that when they've resolved to do something, they've got this, everybody has the single resolution, they've resolved to do this. That buy-in, what is your first step to getting that buy-in? You say everybody kind of buys in, but I suppose if it was easy for them to buy into this issue, they would have done it already. So what in inside that mediation kind of creates this environment where people now feel comfortable to get on the same page? The communication. So that resolve to kind of implement, it wasn't going to happen prior to the discussion because they weren't communicating. So okay. they weren't fully on the same page of what the issues are. You know, yeah. so in the mediation, the communication helps to get to that resolve. And then they also know because they do the job, is the resolve going to work or are we going to implement something? Is a stranger going to implement something that, you know, isn't going to work in this particular instance, because that's not how we work. That's not the type of clients we see. That's not the kind of animals we treat. Right. right? So it's them that will be implementing this. And when I say them, I'm talking about the team. It's the team, it's the veterinarians, it's the technicians, it's the front desk. I mean, they all have an integral part of making this work for in the best interest of the pet, right? So, and obviously productivity is up when everybody's on the same page and they're all, you know, getting along well. Could you give an example of the kind of thing more specifically you would get called in, the kind of conflict that is ongoing at a practice, either something you've done already or something you can imagine would happen. Just kind of give it, what would a case study look like? Why would someone pay a mediator to come in and do this? Yeah, so somebody notices changes, changes in behavior. Somebody who talks a lot is now is not talking anymore. You know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but there's generally somebody who is about to leave. Okay. And there's, if one person's thinking it, there's usually more than one person that's. So somebody it. notices somebody else is starting to check out. Yes. And when they present, what's going on? Nothing. <laughs> I feel like there's already checked out. Now we have been warned. I feel like in the HR management world, it's too late already. If the person is checked out, it's almost like it reminds me of what a divorce mediator told me at one point about if certain people, once they've decided they're having, it's all done. 
it's already a done deal. They'll talk about it and we could maybe try to, it's not going to get fixed. It's not going to fix. In these cases, is there something in that checking out period where they might come back in? Because I feel like that's, they've been, now they're burned out and they're angry and they feel like there's no resolution. So like they've given up. So yeah. <laughs> and haven't we all, we all know what that feels like, right? Yep. So right. absolutely. So that is a point where, yeah, they're just about to walk out the door. Okay. And is there a chance? There's absolutely a chance of changing their mind. That's very there positive. Is there is. Okay. And most employees have the same goal. Like they want a good working environment. That's what they wanted. That's what they had at some point, most likely at this clinic or hospital or vet school. And that's why they've stayed so long. So they really want it to work. Nobody really wants to have to go out and look at, for another job. And, you know, there's also like for veterinarians, there's sometimes a um, non-compete. So they may be stuck, right? So there is an opportunity to turn those people around that are just that have a foot out the door that are about to leave. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, Listen to a free training webinar or apply. Visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. If that's happening... Who is the typical person to contact you about that? Who is the canary in the coal mine who says, we need to have someone come in? We talk to them. They don't seem to want to talk to us. They're still doing a job. We're not going to fire them. They're still doing a great job, but they've emotionally checked out. And other approaches would be, oh, emotional well-being. The person's burned out. So we need to give them time off. We need to give them more breaks. That's the issue. There's an emotional self-care that we're preventing. This is a different thing. I think it's all, it all plays a part. Okay. It all plays a part because if you're happy at work, yeah. then it's not so mentally straining on you. And, you know, I think it's really important that we take care of each other's mental health. Yes. You know, that we're really looking out for each other in this day and age. I mean, a lot of people are burnt. A lot of people are stressed and a lot of people won't communicate that. They hold it in. So it's important that... If we can get the clinic or the hospital or the, this team working better, mm -hmm. it helps every aspect of every part of your life. Because when you're stressed and you're having a stomachache, driving into work, you don't want to be there. We've all had that. It's not fun. And then you take it home at the end of the day. So now you're, you know, stressing your relationships out or, you know, and some people turn to like they're overeating or they might start drinking or they're, you know, doing those types of things. We want to be healthy all around. Yeah. And you spend a lot of time at work. You spend a lot of time at work. But to answer that initial question, who makes the phone call? Right. So what I've been seeing is people asking me, I need help. Like, how do I get somebody to call you? 
You know, like we really need somebody like you to come in. We have this problem at our practice, but I'm not the decision maker who will do this. <laughs> right. 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 So, you know, what will be neat is when I can say, well, you can point him to this podcast, right? Because sure. a lot of people don't know that in-house veterinary mediation services exists and that we have this tool to add to our toolbox to do this. Yes. And I remember, you know, it's not mediation isn't new and mediation in the workplace isn't new. I remember back in the day when I was working someplace, it was a veterinary environment and we had a mediator come in and um, it wasn't good. <laughs> Describe to me what went sideways with that. Well, I think the person, number one, wasn't listening to us. There was not anything to fill out pre. You know, the questionnaire that I have people fill out is twofold. It's let's them focus on what do they really feel the problems are. Okay, right. Because sometimes they're just so stressed out that they're just like, I'm done. I'm done. But I really want them to understand what do they think the problems are. And then in that writing, what do you think the resolve is? Because, you know, everybody has a voice. Like, everybody matters. They're part of the team. And this person that came in, I don't know her background or her training, but I don't think she understood the job at all. And she certainly didn't understand us because, you know, when some of us would kind of just talk and we we're all a bunch of good people. Right. We're just under, you know, individually, right? So, but as a pack, maybe things weren't going as well, but individually, everybody's great. So let's just get that pack back together, right? So, and how do we do that? We do that by communicating. And it was odd. She was not interpreting our questions or statements appropriately. So it was sort of like more, she thought we were being argumentative when we weren't, we were merely just talking. So that was sad, but I also think that it was because she never did the job. She didn't understand what we were talking about. How could she really help? Anybody can give you tools to communicate, but you have to understand this job as you know a group of technicians or a group of veterinarians. Or There's a lot to it. Right. There's a lot to this job. That's interesting that you gave this example of somebody who didn't quite get it. I feel like there's oftentimes people fall on either side. If people describe their problems to you, and you're like, I don't see what the problem is. This is super obvious. You guys blah, you guys blah. What's the big deal? So they're dismissive and overly simplistic about the problem. Just talk more. Just let's just fix this. You guys talk, do this and do that. And it's all fixed. No problem. And the other side is empathizing too much where you're like, you fall into the rabbit hole. You're right. That's so unfair. That other side is really messed up. And people, I think, bounce between those. What is this middle where you see all the sides because I feel like most of us are not equipped for that. Most of us are equipped for seeing our side. So how does the communication unfold in that situation where the sides kind of, or maybe that doesn't need to happen, where one side sees what the other side sees and they agree to shared truths, all that stuff. How does that play out? Because I could see empathizing, that's terrible. And the other side, this sounds really easy. I don't even see what the problem is. Where's the middle ground in there? <laughs> So are you referring to how I do it as a mediator? Yes, a bit, because I think what you were describing where this person doesn't get it. So either they're like, that's really right. That's really bad. Or they think all these things are dumb. I don't even see why there's a problem here. Why can't you resolve this on your own? Like the middle right. in there, it's not easily resolvable. And also people have valid concerns. Well, I think myself as a mediator, I've been really, you know, growing up to, I've never been like curious as to what 
really caused it or let me like for a divorce example right okay. so i take the problem where it is we have to get some history but how are we going to move forward because if we only hammer on the history then it just brings out the badness of what happened we do have to address that but we need to move forward as well uh, that's what people want to do and i think for me i really have this like no judgment ability oddly enough i've divorced my own family members so <laughs> and i don't even know why they were getting divorced because i'm i'm not I just want to help you from where you are yeah. and bring you forward for real. That's what I want to do. And if we always think that the person speaking has the best motives, that's what you're going to hear. So we can interpret what somebody says in several different ways. And if you're confused, you need to ask more like, what do you mean by that? You know, so not just assume I don't make any assumptions. If you do, you can land yourself in trouble that way because you're not helping them. You're just, you know, you're making an assumption and that's not very nice. So I think also because I genuinely care, I'm able to have no judgment and I'm not working inside this. So I'm not emotionally attached. But my end game is I want them to be a team and to really love coming to work and to really trust each other as a team really trust each other as a team so that they there's nothing they can't accomplish especially in this world where they are working with understaffed most of the time i mean i'm not sure if you've tried to get into a vet a doctor's appointment lately it's it's difficult like, gee i can get you in, in three weeks or four weeks i mean can you imagine the person on the phone is going through right covid never stopped but some staff left and some places closed but yeah they were always considered essential so while everybody else disappeared for a while and came back the practices took this brunt and have, most of them have not been fully staffed in COVID now because of the lack. Yeah. And the amount of animals have increased. Yes. Everybody went and got dogs. I see it around me. All these people walking dogs. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> awesome. But all of a sudden we went from, you know, able to maintain to oh, where are they all coming from and right. where is everybody to help, you know? So, but that's where I said, how can I help? And that's how this in-house veterinary mediation service has grown because I can help. Can I ask about one, when you described what you're doing, it sounds very sort of proactive and future looking. Here's where we are. Can we all acknowledge where we are? And then how do we move forward so that everybody's happy again and feels safe and they're communicating better as opposed to, I think what happens a lot of time with conflict resistant people Something bad happens. It's not fair. And they come up with reasons in the moment why they shouldn't confront it or talk about it or have a conflict about it, but they don't really let it go. They stuff it in there. And then the next thing happens and they stuff it again. And before they know it, they have this entire reservoir of things that have happened already that they're mad about or sad about or frustrated about, and they have not resolved them. So you come in as the mediator and everybody's got this huge reservoir of past stuff. It sounds like there's a possibility with opening up communication, they don't need to have a big, they might need it, but this is not a big venting session. So what happens to all that past event stuff that people are hanging on to in mediation? How do you manage that? How does that come up? So we do actually go by some of the, the history because that's what brought us here. Yes. We don't ignore the history at all you don't just do this thing where you're like that was the past we're talking about the future here whoa oh god no no because you know what i know the hearts of a lot of veterinarians and veterinary technicians and really they don't want conflict they don't oh want right conflict. very conflict diverse Absolutely. i am too so i relate to them <laughs> yeah but you know what there's 
stuff that they hold on to that they're thinking about that might keep them awake at night that is a barrier to be able to do their job appropriately. So we want to discuss those things. And those are some of the things that may end up on that questionnaire. And truthfully, the questionnaires tend to look a lot alike. So they are not communicating, but yet all are thinking the same thing, <laughs> right? So, and then we can get them in and talk about these things and come to a resolve. And I get to tell you what's really neat with the advent of Zoom yeah. or any platform, I'm now able to help people in their own environments where I couldn't do that before. I, you would have to go into a clinic or go into a place and all the employees, so you're going you're gonna to quit working. All the employees yeah. have to sit around a table and we're going to talk. And that's very uncomfortable. And it's not going to elicit a lot of communication that way. It will elicit communication. But when you have people in their own environments, on their own couch, some are sitting in a car in a parking lot, some are at the clinic in their office, and they're all on a screen Yeah. and their faces are smaller, the more people you have, the communication is, honestly, it's beautiful. So you have clearly seen it both ways. You've been in rooms with spouses who are furious at each other in a room together. And now you have this large group on Zoom. A lot of people's complaint about the telemeeting stuff is that people detach, people are... But are you saying it creates this a little bit of a nice, I don't know, emotional distance or safety because they're not crammed into a room next to the people who are mad or sad or what does it do? What does it feel like? You just said it. It's perfect. And, you know, the neat thing is I started mediating in 2006 and everything was always, you know, live and with everybody in front of you. And and then, of course, COVID hit. And within the first two weeks, I was like, I have to put my entire like. <laughs> <laughs> office online. I didn't have any help. I'm like, how am I going to do this? And then after the first mediation, I was like, this is really better. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I said, my goodness, they're talking so much better. And these are people that I already knew and had mediations with. So it's not like I, I didn't know how they would behave if they were together. This was, I knew how they did being together and then versus online and something's very different and it's better. Yeah. And I think it's partly because they're not sitting face to face with somebody who they already know how somebody's going to react, forgetting that I have a mute button. So remember, I am in control. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not so. like somebody can start screaming at the top of their lungs and you can't do anything about it. That's not going to happen on my shift. So and, and here that leads us to another part is that I do have ground rules. Yeah. And the ground rules have to be followed and you get a list of them. And if you forgot them, then I can put them up on the screen. They're really, it's just, it's about respecting each other and listening. Can I ask, so for anyone, whether they are a kennel attendant, a receptionist, a veterinary assistant, a veterinary technician, a doctor, a practice owner, an associate, whoever they are, and they're thinking about in their practice, either I feel burnt out because there are communication issues or there are unresolved problems that we can't seem to talk about or get around. Or as you said at the very beginning, I know someone who a year ago was in and now they seem out, but they're still here. And I kind of think I know what the problem is. It's a communication problem. It's a conflict problem that hasn't been resolved, but they can't set up the mediation now. Is there a number one thing that you wish people would deploy back to the world if they hear you and be like, here's the number one thing in conflict mediation that I wish people, even if they're not going to bring in a mediator right now, even if they're not going to go read a book about conflict mediation, I wish they'd just do this one thing in their communication with conflicts. Is there one thing everybody does that maybe things would be better in their conflicts if they would just do this or not do this? Well, first seek the truth. 
Okay, seek the truth. What does that look like? Unfortunately, communication. <laughs> <laughs> and by communication, do you mean, what do you do? Is there like a really good question that you deploy where someone's closed up? And is there a good question you use to like, you use and then repeat and listen and repeat and listen? Is there, I don't know. Well, it's first you have to care. So people aren't stupid. They can tell if you're, you know, just looking for answers or do you genuinely care? Like, I don't care about you. I just want this problem over. You as a person, I could give less of a crap about. I just don't want this affecting my work life. You're right. People can tap in on that. You don't care about me or how I'm feeling. You just want this problem resolved. Exactly. You just don't want to deal with this any longer. Right. So, you know, first is let's just, you know, genuinely want to resolve the issue. You can't always make people genuinely care about each other. That's the goal, of course, that I have, because you have to have some sort of trust and relationship to do this type of job from beginning to end. Like you are in you're caring for this pet and you're dealing with the clients. Right. And um, you have to work together as a team in order for, you know, this pet to go through the process of the entire, you know, from the office to the maybe surgery to client communication to home to rechecks to you know it's you have to work together as a team so they care and they're not numb so they care about the pet owner or the pet or the colleague there's an emotional core that makes them want to resolve this they care then what do they do is there a good how do they get to that truth the only way honestly is to sit down and talk with each other you know and one thing i stress big is no gossip stop the gossip you know stop gossiping if you hear any gossiping someone says this one did that to say well what did you how did they respond when you asked them about that right so that tends to like stop that because gossip hurts and it doesn't help anything and it just i feel like it's the most toxic thing in a clinic is the gossip and if you think that the person can't tell that you're talking behind their back when they walk in the room come on you know they can they can tell i mean everybody's they're smart and in tune with this. So yeah, I mean, the good news is I worked at a time when everybody really was a team. So I know what it's like. And then I worked at a time when people aren't a team. So I know what that's like. I know how that feels. So you know what brought them from A to B, let's bring them back to A the best that we can. And that actually can be A like as if it's never been to B. It really can, it can turn things around. I hope a lot of people who listen to this podcast have had that experience so they know that that, in fact, is true. It can happen. Want to learn more? Visit WorcesterCountyMediation.com. W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R CountyMediation.com. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. Did you love it? Leave us a review. Tell your friends in VetMed about us. And if you want more, you're in luck. Wydowitz shares ideas to put this into practice when you're not the person in charge. That's in the extended version exclusively for our leaders community. Learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, just want you to know, I appreciate you.